Hello and welcome to The Pulse. In today's show, the new gold rush as mainlanders and Hong Kongers surge to get their hands on every ounce of this precious metal. And the latest developments in the strike by dock workers from the Hong Kong International Terminals. First, though, last Saturday's magnitude 7 earthquake in Sichuan killed almost 200 people and left tens of thousands homeless. In the wake of that, Chief Executive Lan Chongying proposed donating $100 million to the Sichuan provincial government to provide emergency relief for the earthquake victims. This Wednesday, legislators held a special finance committee meeting to discuss the donation. The approval motion wasn't passed, because there wasn't enough time for all the legislators who wanted to speak to do so. Hongkong捐呢,就唔係救助災民,而係獎勵貪官。內地的貪官問題確實係存在,因為內地存在的問題,就因而你用一種咁樣的態度。或者是我就不要捐款。是不是因為有這個是個別的情況,而你整個民族的處境呢? Many on the internet, too, oppose using taxpayers' money to donate $100 million to government officials they fear may be corrupt. Former reporter Bruce Loy followed up on the aftermath of the 2008 Wenchuan earthquake. He suggests donating money to non-government organizations instead of the local government. The local government asked uh, local people to rebuild their house after the disasters because of the misplanning. All the house you just uh, rebuilt, they have to be uh, demolished. So uh, after the natural disaster, we see the man-made disaster again. And for building a house, and then we demolish it. And then we, we build it again. This is a repeatedly uh, wastage of the, of the donations and also the, the rebuilt money. Even some on the mainland are dubious about donating. They particularly oppose giving to the government-affiliated Red Cross Society of China due to earlier scandals involving misuse of funds. Guomei Mei, self-describing herself as the commercial general manager of the organization, became notorious after showing off her luxury cars and accessories on her microblog. Some have raised concerns that the Hong Kong Red Cross will work with the mainland Red Cross in terms of handling Hong Kong donations. Although we work together with the Chinese Red Cross, we still have a very high degree of autonomy. 
we manage all our projects according to our internal project management and financial management guidelines. So for all the projects, uh, the Hong Kong Red Cross staff will be involved in needs assessment and project planning pro uh, in, and also project planning process. So we also will sign um, uh, agreements with the Chinese Red Cross to ensure that the donations will only be used for the designated purpose. And we have our staff based in Sichuan to monitor the execution of the uh, 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 utilization of the donation. Usually, international charities, including some Hong Kong-based ones, are open to public audit. The National Audit Office of the People's Republic of China also audited the reconstruction of Wenchuan after the 2008 earthquake. The audit determined that the management of 63 projects wasn't up to standard. The Hong Kong media has also reported on Hong Kong-sponsored schools that were either built with styrofoam or immediately torn down to build a shopping mall. Still, the chief secretary says we should have faith. We heard that uh, our Chief Secretary Carrie Lam asked us to believe in, in the mainland organization and government. But uh, when most of the local Chinese people, they don't believe of their mainland government, how can we Hong Kong people believe in, in it? So what we believe is uh, a system. So we are we must help to build up the system and then to channel the uh, money to the trustworthy uh, NGOs. We don't want a quantity donations now. We really want a uh, quality donations. Meanwhile, back in Hong Kong, there's a new gold rush underway, fueled by both locals and mainland visitors. Gold's looking cheap at the moment. Well cheap compared with recent prices, but there are no guarantees about mid to long-term prospects for gold buffs. As of uh, Tuesday, I think major jurors chain jewelry stores, okay, have sold out the physical gold bars and bullets. First time in my life that the gold for the 20% of it is out of my imagination. On April 12th, gold prices plunged, dropping 27% to 1,387 US dollars from the 1,908 they had reached in August 2011. It was the biggest drop in more than 30 years. Within three days of the gold prices plummeting, gold was selling out in Hong Kong, both to locals and mainland visitors. The frenzied buying has left many banks, jewelers and even the gold exchange without enough to meet demand. The gold exchange ordered four times its usual stock to cater for the surge. 
Deliveries are pending from Switzerland and London to replenish supplies. But a new gold rush is not just a Hong Kong phenomenon. It is happening on the mainland, in India, and in other Asian countries. According to my opinion, it would be too many aggregated long positions in the market. That triggers, triggers off the, the interest of those very uh, enormous uh, uh, amount of uh, market hunters that they, they just work together to, to make a crunch so that they, they, they get, get, get the benefit out of it. A lot of rumors, a lot of news came out, such as that Soros cleared his gold positions. Okay, all these major commission houses, okay, start to be bearish sentiment or recommendations, and then finally came to came to came to the Cyprus. Selling out gold for for to to cover the the financial problems, okay, and that creates a domino effect, okay, that people would might think, what's going to happen if other countries follows in the Europe area? So that, in my opinion, that caused this major correction. Mainland Chinese are flocking to Hong Kong to buy gold. Many women turn up in groups to stock up, as they believe the price will bounce back. People carrying more than 50 grams of gold into the mainland should declare it and pay importation duties. According to a report from HSBC, gold prices are likely to turn up with a greater recovery in jewelry prices in emerging markets like China and India. Jewelry accounts for almost 45% of gold demand. Many buyers in this gold rush are parents buying gold ornaments for their daughters' marriages. However, China's gold reserves only amount to about 1,000 tons, an eighth of that in the United States. For China as an emerging market, it knows that the increase of gold reserve is the direction to go. I don't think that, that there's a lot, a very, very, very good pro progress in the price of gold. Perhaps um, it will go back for 10% or something like this. But still, uh, if mainland China is buying, as, as long as mainland China is buying, I don't see any opportunity that another crunch will happen at all. No, no. Coming up soon is the Golden Week, when thousands of mainland Chinese are expected to travel to Hong Kong. Traders are hoping it will be a golden week in more ways than one. May first gold week, May golden week. I think I think business, gold business should go should go go up at least twenty five to thirty percent. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. On Thursday, a Hong Kong court refused to give Chang Kong Holdings an immediate injunction to prevent strikers from the Hong Kong port camping outside the Chang Kong Centre. 
It's the latest development in what's turning into an increasingly acrimonious industrial dispute and one that's polarising opinion even among Hong Kong citizens not involved in the strike. The HIT dockers' strike is entering its second month, with the workers and their employers seemingly no closer to agreement. On the contrary, the confrontation appears to be escalating. Yesterday, Li Kaxing's flagship Cheng Gong Company, whose subsidiary, Hutchison Wampoa, is the parent company of HIT, posted a notice outside the Cheng Gong Centre. The notice stated that they are applying for a court injunction to bar strikers from picketing outside the centre. Justice Derek Pang, in the court of first instance, refused to hear the application in the absence of the workers because, he said, it involved a constitutional right to demonstrate and freedom of expression. The hearing's been delayed until next Friday. According to the Lands Department, the occupied areas are private property, but designated as public open space. Members of the public can enter and use the space legally. I think it's very obvious that um, Cheng Gong, uh, Li Gaxing, Li Zhagui is trying to ban us from expressing peacefully, peacefully here outside. We have been here for a whole week uh, peacefully demonstrating, and there are no you know, inconvenience caused to anyone. And so uh, we want to continue our peaceful uh, demonstration uh, to put forward our case that HIT to come forward uh, to negotiate with the union. For the union and strikers, the injunction isn't the only potential legal challenge they may face. Yesterday morning, around 300 dockers went to Kwai Chong to hold a rally, marching from one terminal to another. Police said that demonstrators had not informed them about the rally and some had been blocking the traffic. Police are considering prosecution. After three rounds of negotiation between dockers and their employers who subcontract for HIT, last Saturday the union initiated a campaign to boycott other Hutchison businesses in Hong Kong. That action even drew the attention of some tourists. I've been here, like I said, for a week, and uh, I was really uh, moved by, by what the workers said and, and, the, and the stories that they related. But the thing that inspired me, moved me from from being moved to inspired is that I asked around to all of the, all, pretty much all the Cantonese people I know, Cantonese speaking people I know, Hong Kong people I know, and uh, asked them what they thought of this. And everybody, every single person I talked to without fail said that they supported it. And it's not because they, they know anybody here, it's because they feel like the, that the fight that's happening here is a fight that, that is their fight. During this week, both HIT and the union have been conducting a bit of an ad war in local papers. Both posted full-page newspaper ads to promote their positions. HIT says the requested 20% pay rise is unrealistic and could disrupt the Hong Kong economy. It says that the golden era of Hong Kong's terminal business is over. It ended around 1995. In another full-page ad, HIT says that it's adjusted its service fee to reflect market changes. 
and that the average monthly salary for a docker has already reached $20,000. On the other hand, the Unions Act listed the average hourly salary from 1995 until today. Their figures show that in real terms, the docker's salary is going down instead of up. The Confederation of Trade Union figures also show that the hourly rate paid to employees of the subcontractors is lower than that paid to those directly employed by HIT. We also compared Hong Kong's payments to its dock workers with those in Australia and the United States. While Hong Kong's cost of living index isn't four times lower than that of either country, its dockers' salaries are. That's one reason international trade unions have been supporting the Hong Kong dockers. In a written reply to the Pulse, the International Longshore and Warehouse Union says that with the help of the International Transport Workers Federation, based in London, it's donated 20,000 US dollars to support the Hong Kong strikers. Jimmy has worked as a crane operator for a subcontractor for five years. He's earning around $20,000 a month, but he says it's far from easy money. 之前我本身在嘉隆操作的時候就八個鐘啦 in Hong Kong, we don't have um, any law regarding uh, that regulates the number of hours that, that are worked. It's just a matter of the judgment of the employer. So you have truck drivers driving to the mainland and back, sometimes 20 hours at a go, uh, and there are lots of accidents. We, we lack a working hours law. A working hours law would limit how many hours could be worked in a day. It could allow for some flexibility for some overtime so that at the end of the week there's a maximum number of hours and so that in, in a given day there's a standard number of hours so that by and large workers would never be overworked to the point of exhaustion. On Monday, the Secretary for Labour and Welfare, Matthew Zhang, met Dockers for the first time in the dispute. He's asked the CTU to resume talks with contractor Everbest Port Services as soon as possible. Another contractor, the Global Stevedoring Service, has already said it won't negotiate and that it plans to close down after June the 30th due to the strike.
But there's a feeling among the workers that the government has simply not done enough. According to Hong Kong's employment laws, the Commissioner for Labour can appoint a special conciliator who may be a senior officer of the department or any other public officer or person to settle a trade dispute that could affect the livelihood of a large number of people. If that doesn't work, he or she should submit a report to the chief executive, who can take other necessary action to settle the dispute, including appointing an outside mediator. And that's it for this episode of The Pulse. Time for my usual reminder that if you've missed part of it, want to see more or even see it again, you can always go to The Pulse page on the RTHK website and you can download podcasts to watch at any time of the day. Also, if you want to chat to us or tell us what you think, go to our Facebook page, RTHK's The Pulse. We'll see you at the same time next week. Until then, goodbye. Cost of living gets so high. Rich and poor, they start to cry. Now the weak must get strong. They say, oh, what a tribulation. Them belly full, but we hungry. Hungry mob is a hungry mob. A rain of fall, but a dirty tough. A pot of yuck, but you done up. We're gonna talk to your music. Chucking. Hey, we're talking to your music.